Hello everyone, welcome to episode 813 of Cold Wave Soundcheck, I'm Aaron Pollock. This year we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Wave's Eat Festival running Thursday, September 19th through Sunday the 22nd at Metro and Smart Bar in Chicago. Cold Waves is a celebration of Chicago's relationship with industrial music, the memory of a fallen brother, and a fundraiser for suicide prevention charities. In the summer of 2012, Chicago lost one of its most loved and respected sound engineers and musicians, Jamie Duffy. His abrupt passing had a profound effect on the electronic and metal music families he meant so much to. Cold Waves aims to shake the pillars of heaven by collecting the bands, styles, sounds, and attitudes that Jamie held dear and cement the sound of a Chicago institution alive and well. This year's performers include Popple Eat Itself, Nitzer Ebb, Test Department, Chemlab, Howjob, Severed Heads, Pig, and many, many more. Head to coldwaves.net for the full lineup and ticket links. This week, we are chatting with Sunday Metro headliner Richard Patrick. This is Filter. Show. 
filters always lean towards the guitar side, but you've talked about this previously, and, and you can hear it in the music. There was always been that hint of wax tracks or skinny puppy sound. And that's really the heart of what Cold Waves is and what it represents is, you know, celebrating that style of music from from the old bands and the new bands that are carrying that torch. So tell me what it means to be yeah. part of a, a festival that, that celebrates that kind of music. So at the tender age of like 19, I was kind of turned down from a major label because I sounded too like English or new wave. And I was really hurt by it. And a friend of mine came over and he was like, well, you got to hear this. And he played me the land of rape and honey by ministry. And I was like, what is this? It's so angry and it's so mean, but it's like electronics. And all of a sudden within like a day, I was into Skinny Puppy, The Revolting Cox, anything Al Jorgensen did absolutely was 100% behind it. I bought everything. My buddy who had known me forever, or he'd known me you know, forever at that point, was when I was 16, and he worked at this place called Pie Keyboards and Audio, and he was in this band called The Exotic Birds, and they were this weird new wave band too, like, you know... And his name was Trent. And I was like, he saw me and he goes, wow, you went from like looking like Robert Smith to like looking like, you know, like skinny puppy. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't listen to anything that old anymore. I listen to just like totally industrial. That's what I'm into. And he goes, yeah, he goes, that's what I'm doing. I'm kind of more, I'm leaning more towards industrial. He actually ended up getting a record contract, which was insane because people from Cleveland didn't get record contracts. And um, he had gotten signed and he was working on his new band, Nine Inch Nails. When he asked me to to join, I was fully like, we have to be heavy as fuck. Like, we have to be as mean as fuck. We cannot just be like, you know another industrial band we have to like really live it and he was you know he he loved Depeche Mode as much as I did but he was you know he was uh, almost seemed like he was worried about it until he he had this you know guitar he bought this guitar for me and it was a Charvel and it was hot pink and he goes you know it's it's kind of like the record cover it's like there's all this black and all this darkness but there's this one little piece of like pink on the record cover and I'm like, yeah, if I was, you know, if I, if I'd have known you were going to put pink on the record cover, I would have kicked your ass and there's no way I'm fucking playing a pink guitar. And he goes, come on, dude. And you know, so I, I took a, a, a Sharpie and I sharpied that motherfucker black during rehearsal when he wasn't looking, when he saw the guitar had been sharpied black, he was like, okay, piggy touche. And, um, that's when I knew, like, you know, uh, I, 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 was, I was really kind of a member of, of Nine Inch Nails because I had, I had not adhered towards the plan, and I was, like, you know, fucking sharpening $1,700 guitars black because I was, like, I'm not down with the pink shit, bro. So, yeah, that, the Wax Tracks industrial sound is 
that's that's me turning 17 because I was like, holy shit, this is the fucking greatest because it was so fucking angry and it was so mean, but it was electronic. And that's what was so cool because it was mean electronic music. And so, yeah, I, I'm a guitar player by nature. Um, that's my first instrument because it's so visceral, but I'm, you know, I've always been into electronics as well. I've, I've always, I've, I've always loved that. So next year is the 25th anniversary of short bus. And this year is the 20th anniversary for title record. Do you like celebrating these kinds of milestones? Do, do you look back on that kind of stuff or not really? Yeah, there's a new version of, uh, of of short bus that's out there digitally and uh, also vinyl and then there's a new vinyl version of title of record coming out for the first time that it's really officially a vinyl ready for purchase so i i like that but i mean you know it's wild i mean you know 20th anniversary of a record i feel like i just made two or three years you know in my heart it's like that's pretty recent and uh you know it's it's wild actually becoming an older person because my voice still sounds like it's, you know, fresh out of my 20s or fresh in my 20s and out of my teens. You know, I feel like I'm still a young person in my heart. I never, like, got a real job or anything, um, although I, you know, I, I talk to directors and and filmmakers and it probably in a different light a little bit a little bit more responsible sounding but in my heart i'm still the punk kid that fucking smashed a guitar and uh you know spit on the fucking rug in some nice hotel and you know i mean i'm just i i don't feel like a real responsible adult yet and so it's really weird seeing these albums turn you know fucking 20 i mean it's wild my kids are still really young, but I'm sure if your kids are older, I feel like they're a sort of reminder that that time keeps sort of passing by, even if you feel the same. Well, I mean, in my soul, I, I, I feel the same. But when I look in the mirror and when I like feel like when I get up, you know, Trent tackled me uh, every night for like two or three years when we were on the road. So, I mean, my whole right side of my body started limping. And I ended up having a massive back surgery because my whole my legs were so weak uh, from from uh, from being you know beat up so many times. Um, that and you know the normal like skiing vacation you know I hurt my knee when I was you know that, but like so my body definitely feels old, but but my heart and my soul feel like really young. So it's a very strange thing getting being older. I would love to conspire against nature and just completely whip my body back into shape, but it's going to be tough. I feel like we're we're almost there in medicine. I keep reading all these weird articles about how they can de-age mice and stuff like that, so maybe we can make it. Just a bunch of rich people are going to have that technology. But then the problem might be that you're fine physically, but just like, you know, as a, as a country and a world, everything else sort of falls apart. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It definitely feels like our government's gone to shit, but that's a whole nother story. I've seen that you've put up a couple posts on Facebook the last couple days. Originally on Pledge Music, you were working on an album called Rebus, and now it sounds like it's it's taken a turn. So give me more details about what's happening right now with the new album. 
So Pledge Music was a great idea. Um, it uh, it, it kind of collapsed on itself. They went into bankruptcy. They took our money with them. Uh, I have like two or 3,000 fans that are out of their investment into our record, plus they're not getting the fun stuff, which is the CD and signed stuff and interactions with us. It's hurt in a deeper, more exacerbating way by triggering stuff between me and Brian. Brian likes to make these big, expansive records that take a long time to record. To me, I just don't have the time to develop into a four or five year process. I mean, we've we worked for a year and a half. Um, it, you know, we have some great music out of it. It's just that when the money kind of got messed up and I realized what it was like working with Brian after all these years, I mean, it just became obvious to, to me that like I could probably do a record like with my friends pretty fast and put that out and then maybe save rebus for something else but i still want to take the three songs that i that i really liked um the songs that kind of came from my computer and i just you know i just want to get it out faster and i've got a lot to say politically i just want to i just want to tear trump a new asshole and it's 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 going to be subtle within the lyrics but if the name of the record is they've got us right where they want us at each other's throats you can guess what kind of like you know i have this song where i'm like you know i can't afford my meds but at least i got my shotgun you know it's like takes a look at that certain section of america that i lovingly call home uh you know ohio and the midwest and everything but it also kind of looks at like how ridiculously out of you know they've been they're being lied to and stuff like that so the whole pledge thing triggered a thing with brian and i and i just think reboss could be done at a later date and i think that i've got a lot more to say within the next year and a half than to, to than to continuously work on a on you know a record that might take forever i don't know i i just want to do something that was way more just industrial to be honest with you cold waves is uh, is kind of the this is kind of the the place to tell this story i i want to make a record that's going to like suggest that like you know not all is well in america and this is what it sounds like as opposed to trying to just entertain people obviously my hero al jorgensen and nivik ogre and skinny puppy those guys do a great job but this is my take
So another way you can be in touch with fans that is relatively new, I didn't know about this until I saw that you were doing it, this cameo. If this thing was around when I was a kid, I think I would have gone broke. There's plenty of actors and musicians and other celebrities on there. There's everyone from the Ice King from Game of Thrones to Snoop Dogg on there. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, Cameo is a good idea. It's like, you know, you're texting. They're saying, hey, can you ask, you know, there was a bridesmaid uh, request that I had to make. And the funny thing is, is when I talk to people like in real life, my actual life, I'm actually a pretty funny person. I like comedy as a way to break the ice or whatever. And believe it or not, back in the day when I was in Nine Inch Nails, it was fully you know, comedy, like 100%, because, you know, if you could make Trent laugh, it would be better on everybody. So I, I've, I'm i like this traditionally very funny person, and I try to go the distance on, on just being funny. And so cameo thing was kind of weird, because it's like, hey, could you do me a favor and give me a shout out, of, you know, for my flea market thing that I do? And I'm like, oh, okay. So you know, and I, it's me going, hi, it's Richard Patrick, and, you know, shout out to the flea market guy. You know, and it just feels really stupid. So when I actually became f- funnier and just and just kind of dropped the cool guy thing that everybody tries to do when they're doing these things, it became actually a lot more entertaining for me. So I don't know. I just goof off, and I people cameo the thing, and, you know, I, I do it. It feels a little bit like I'm jumping the shark. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, same with Pledge. And then I ended up loving Pledge music, you know, the interaction with the fans and making videos and playing snippets of, you know, when you play a snippet uh, of your music to someone who doesn't care, they're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. But if you play a snippet of music to a fan that's dying to hear the new Filter record, it's, it's it makes it so much more fun. So when I do when I do stuff like cameo or or when I make posts online or something, I just want to do something that's a little bit beyond the regular rock and roll. Like, hey, this is Richard, and you're listening to blah blah blah. You know, I'd I'd rather do something way more fun. So that's kind of where I'm at with yeah. Cameo is actually really funny because you never know what you're gonna get with me. I'm I'm could be in any mood and just do something really wacky and fun and that's that's really what it's about for me i saw recently you you got back from another trip to the middle east there's a really warped sense of patriotism in this country you know depending who you talk to but i can't think of too many things that are more patriotic than actually going to where the soldiers are and trying to you know cheer them up by doing something to to get them out of whatever mindset they're in so tell me about that experience that that you've done because i think that's a really cool thing well the thing is is you know my my family heritage goes all the way back to the revolution jacob patrick was uh in the revolution his uncle or someone owned the patrick inn which is where they wrote the declaration of independence Uh, you know my grandfather was in one and then in Korea, and you know, he started off as a, a courier, uh, you know, which was a you know one of these guys that runs a message back and forth behind uh, you know behind the line. And uh, in World War II, he was uh, like uh, you know an engineer uh, in the in the army. And then in Korea, he was a little older, and I think he was all the way up to like a colonel and. 
But the point is, um, the military, and the reason why we go to the, the Mideast is, is because that's where the scene of the crime is. Like, my friend, the, one of the kids uh, that loved Filter early on, he created the first unofficial Filter website, and it was... Uh, he, he was like a 14-year-old kid when he fell in love with the record Short Boss. And anyways, that kid went off and went to college and was in the reserves and got called up by George Bush. And he went out, and the next thing you know, in 2000, 2003, he was killed in, the, um, in Baghdad fighting for George Bush's war in Iraq. And... You know, I, I was, you know, the, the, if the war is not about um, weapons of mass destruction, if it's not about Iraqi freedom, what's it about? Well, it's about oil. And so I started realizing, like, you know, you can't turn your back on the, the warriors, even though you hate the war. I wanted to know why we were there. So by putting myself available, making myself available to the USO, and uh, Stars for Stripes and different organizations that get musicians out to hang out with the troops. I was able to go to Baghdad, and I was able to go to Kirkuk and to Crete and, and um, Balad and all of these places and see the Iraq war for myself. And even though I was in total you know, comfort and safety, um, I still we still were attacked, and I had to run— you know, scurrying into the night with the rest of the soldiers, you know, when there was a rocket attack in Kirkuk. And then later on, years later, uh, in 2014, I went to Afghanistan and I was uh, we were attacked in um, Basra, the, the Air Force base out there. Uh, there was a mortar attack. And um, so, I, you know, I, I get a sense of what we're there for and, and really um you know, it, it helps me to be a better critic of the war. And, um, you know, so when I write a song that's picks on, you know, uh, George Bush or something like that, I, I'm kind of coming from a place of experience. You know, we have been out there so many times I've lost count, but I always think it's important to let those guys know that the, the, the people really care about them and miss them. And um, that they're not forgotten, and 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 when given the chance, I'll I'll go there myself to tell them in person. You know, I adore the the people that fight in the military. I I love them. I I I hope they come back and they and they adjust from all their stuff that they go through. So you know, I, but no, I would never I would never turn my back on them just because I'm I think that you know. That Donald Trump is a, a dumbass, you know. It's and you know I don't even bring it up when I'm over there. I just I'm like you know this guy is kind of a, you know I don't understand what he's doing, but like I don't really even talk to him about it over there. You know they're over there they're over there serving their country. They don't want to hear that their commander in chief is is nutty. They just want to do their job, you know. And I'm I'm with them. I I get that. There's nothing they can do about it, and they've got to kind of look up to the guy, you know, somehow.
On this episode, you heard The City of Blinding Riots, We Hate It When You Get What You Want, and Jurassitol. Filter can be found at officialfilter.com. Our opening music is Madmaker by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Nicola and Adam from Adult. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here is Dan Simzak sharing another memory of Jamie. Paul Barker was at Neo, and he's sitting in the, the corner after he's done DJing, and I'm serving him. And he's talking about the Cox doing the retrospective. And he's like, Dan, do you know any good guitar players that might want to do this? And I look at him, I'm like, Jamie? And like a light bulb went off in Paul's head. He's like, oh my God, how did I not think of Jamie? You know, I, I always think of Jamie from Tracks, you know, do, doing all of the work he did for ministry. But I forget, yeah, Nation. he's a guitar player. He's, he would be perfect. He, you know, he would love to do it. It's like, I'll talk to Chris. And Jamie comes in one night and he's like, ecstatic. I got a conference call with Paul Barker and Chris Conley today. They want me to play in Revolting Cox. And all night long, you know, he's just going, going, going and talking about like this. And he's just like a kid in a candy store. It's like every childhood dream of his just came true. So I'm driving him home and he goes, how did they think of me? And his head turns sharply towards me. And I don't think I ever had seen Jamie any happier. He just was on cloud nine. It was his crowning moment.